Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes, indeed. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Oh, have we got a topic for you. If you want to run with the Game Changers and stay up with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. So let's see what the buzz is. I have a quote from a writer named Matthew Michaels at businessinsider.com. Listen up. This is important. Financial fraud isn't new. And the extent of the crime can vary significantly. Most cases have at least one person, but often a group of fraudsters going to prison. Ooh, we're talking about fraud. It's time we covered this. Tough topic. So we have an attention alert for CFOs. It's a fact of business today. You know that digitalization, or maybe you say digitization, is speeding up your business processes, making things more efficient, moving faster, good for the business. But wait a minute. It's also creating new opportunities for the bad kids. We're calling them fraudsters or bad actors to exploit gaps that might go undetected by traditional methods. You might have processes set up for detecting fraud. Eh, they're not going to catch all of them. These guys and gals are clever. A typical organization incurs fraud-related losses equivalent to 5% of annual revenue. You, our listeners around the world, you can do the math for your own company. 5% of annual revenue in terms of fraud, okay. And the average fraud case lasts about a year and a half before it's detected. That's bad news. So how can you ensure your corporate assets, your precious corporate assets, are protected against fraudulent activities? And maybe even better, how can you address the threats before they happen? Well, wouldn't that be a beautiful world? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome. Financial Excellence with Game Changers, one of our top audience draws here on Game Changers Radio. So happy and grateful to all of you listeners around the world. We've got a great show for you today. I have three experts. Let me tell you who they are, and then we'll get started. I'll have them introduce themselves, but in a moment, we'll be hearing from Manish Singh, Senior Manager with Risk and Financial Advisory at Deloitte. Welcome to Manish. He's new. Steve Biskey, Director in RSM's Risk Consulting Practice. Welcome to Steve. And Tomas Kong at SAP, and we'll have Tomas tell us all about what he does at SAP. I'm looking for your buyer. He's a senior director of solution management at SAP. There we go. So, Manish Singh, please introduce yourself. Tell us briefly what you do at Deloitte and your background. Thank you, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. So, as Bonnie said, my name is Manish Singh, and I'm a senior manager with Deloitte Risk and Financial Advisory. And I've been with Deloitte for over nine and a half years now, focusing on risk advisory services. And overall, I've been doing this for more than 13 years, where I'm helping my clients implement large ERP solutions and manage their risk and compliance within the solution. Thank you very much. What what drew you to this work? What what brought you into this line of work? Risk is a, a very powerful topic, and I'm sure over your many years in the field, Manish, you've seen changes in the style, if I can use that word, the style of risk, in the risk of risk, in the velocity of risk, in the popularity of risk, in the impacts of risk. What brought you into this field of work originally, if I can ask? Sure, and the answer lies in what you just said, because it's 
ever-evolving, so I never get bored of what I'm doing. There's always new challenges to address, and it keeps me going. Very interesting. It's always nice to be in a field that is always changing. That's how I feel about producing and hosting live radio. We're called live podcasting now. Thank you, Manish. Pleasure to have you on board. And I do a shout out to Carla Neal Slavin, one of our wonderful people at Deloitte. I think she's based in Canada who brings us, engages for us interesting and savvy people like you for our panel. So shout out to Carla. Now let's move around the table one seat to Steve Bisky at RSM. Steve, please introduce yourself. Hey, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. My name is Steve Pisky. I'm a director at RSM in our risk consulting practice. Um, I've been an audit and compliance professional for about 27 years of my career. And with RSM, I lead our team, our national team, that focuses on using analytics and automation to help identify, manage, and monitor risk. Thank you very much. And what brought you into this field? Similar comment to Manisha's, or what got you into this line of work? Yeah, I think for me, it was a little bit of a twist. My grandfather was an IRS agent. My father taught accounting classes. I planned to be a CPA and, and, and get into the work world and in that aspect. And I, I started taking some courses and realized, you know what, I'm not so much about the financial reporting side, but I really like technology. So early in my career, I got involved in, in using technology to help help make those those processes, the accounting, the risk, the uh, compliance, the reporting processes easier. So uh, that, that was kind of my evolution into it. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you on board. Thanks for joining us. And let's go one more stop around the table to Tomas Kong at SAP. Tomas, please tell us who you are, what you do. Thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, Tomas Kong. I'm the global solution owner for the SAP fraud and screening solutions based out of Palo Alto in Silicon Valley. I've been with SAP for about 10 years. And prior to that, I've been with other uh, Silicon Valley companies in related accounting and compliance roles. Nice to have you on board. And and what interests you about fraud and risk? What are your thoughts on that, Tomas? Yeah, so when I started my corporate career in Silicon Valley, I was an internal auditor, and I thought it was just going to be an accounting-related job. Uh, It turned out that in the place where I was working, there were a lot of fraud cases. So fraud is something I encountered from the very beginning, and now that I'm the solution owner on the the software side, I work on software that helps people detect fraud. So I think it's a logical marriage. Thank you very much. Very interesting field. You're all in, and welcome again. And a shout-out to Birgit Starmans at SAP who put together this wonderful panel. And let's see how wonderful and savvy you all are. We're going to go around the table, and I'm going to ask you each to tell us how you picked the quote you sent me before the show. And I always ask my panelists to send a quote that is not specifically about the topic. It doesn't have the words business. It doesn't have anything literally to do with the topic. And then we're going to find out how you picked the quote, and you're going to relate it live here on the air to the topic. So Manish Singh at Deloitte sent us a quote from Steve Jobs. I have a little factoid for you, Manish. Steve Jobs passed away on October 5th, 2011, and I know that date by heart because that was the day I debuted Game Changers Radio for SAP. 
that was the same day, and we found out about two hours after that he had passed away. If anybody on the planet doesn't know who Steve Jobs is, oh my goodness, chairman, CEO, and co-founder of Apple Inc., chairman and majority shareholder of Pixar, member of the Walt Disney Company's board of directors, following its acquisition of Pixar, and founder, chairman, and CEO of Next, any capital XT. He's widely recognized as a pioneer of the microcomputer revolution of the 70s and 80s, along with Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak. So here's the quote. If you are working on something that you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. Manish, how would you find this wonderful quote? So I would start by saying that Steve Jobs is someone that I look up to and still look up to, even he's mm-hmm. not there you know, physically in the world, but virtually he does exist, uh, a lot of inspiration from him. And in specific to this quote, I generally use this to, you know, find out my solution when I'm on a crossroad to determine if I want to do something or not if I'm enough motivated to do something. So I, I, that's how I evaluate myself uh, when I'm on crossroads. From the topic today of fraud, I mean, the fraud occurs with certain motivations, right? And certain vision that the bad actors would have. So that's how I see it would relate to today's topic too, is if there is a proactive fraud management program uh, in an organization that sends out a clear anti-fraud message, uh, to all the employees and stakeholders within the organization, it would blurry their vision. So they would be less motivated. That's how I see that, you know, it would reduce fraud too. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I love the quote. And I think it, and interestingly enough, Manish relates back to my question to all three of you is, how did you get involved in risk and fraud? And you told me that it's because it's always changing and evolving and it keeps you interested. So there you go working on something you really care about. It pulls you very well well put together. Steve Bisky sent us a quote from Napoleon Hill. I found his bio very interesting, Steve, because they claimed that he was a fraudster. Did you know that, Steve? I did not know that when I picked this quote, Bonnie. I'm going to tell you, Oliver Napoleon Hill, 1883 to 1970, was an American self-help author, best known for his book, Think and Grow Rich, back in 1937, among the 10 best-selling self-help books of all times. Hill, in modern times, is a controversial figure. This is from Wikipedia. Alleged of fraud and kidnapping... Modern historians doubt many of his claims, such as that he met Andrew Carnegie and that he was a lawyer. Gizmodo called him the most famous con man you probably never heard of. Are you shocked, Steve? <laughs> I am shocked. I mean, what I meant to say was, of course I knew he was a fraudster. <laughs> I'm well, here's kidding. the... Here, Here's the quote you pick. We like the quote anyway, Steve. It's okay. I just love the lookups of the bios because you never know what you're, you never know what I'm going to discover. So if you cannot do great things, do small things in a great way. Are we talking about the attributions, the talents of the fraudsters today, Steve? Talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what what I was thinking about with with this quote to me is this whole topic we're getting into at some point in time, if you're an organization and you want to detect or prevent this from happening, you, you have to do something. And I talk with a lot of organizations where when we start talking about continuous monitoring and we start talking about going through a fraud risk assessment and then developing indicators to help highlight where that fraud is, some organizations look at it and say, oh, wait a minute, Steve, that, that's going to cost me time. That's going to 
take a lot of money to be able to do. I, I just, I just can't do it at this point in time. And I think what this quote says to me is, while you may not always be able to do something the best way or where to the level you ultimately want to be for that, there's usually something you can do. And even if you do something, doing that something in a great way is a better starting point than not starting at all. Very well put. And and I hope you're not talking to the fraudsters. Get started today. Get in on the ground floor. No, we're not going to talk about that. Sorry. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And I love the fact that I got to learn something about Napoleon Hill. Good, bad, or ugly. It's it's apparently a fact. The con, most famous con man you never heard of. We're moving along to the quote Tomas Kong has sent us from Benjamin Franklin. No fraud there. 1705, although apparently there's a question on the exact date of his birth to 1790. I love the way they describe themselves in those days or the way we in modern times, Tomas, describe people of the ilk of the genre of brilliance of Benjamin Franklin. He's called an American polymath. We know he's one of the founding fathers of the U.S. Listen to this. He was a leading author, a printer, a political theorist, politician, Freemason, postmaster, scientist, inventor, humorist, ah, civic activist, statesman, and diplomat. Uh, As an inventor, he's known for the lightning rod for bifocals, which we enjoy today, the Franklin Stove. He founded the library company, Philadelphia's first fire department, and the University of Pennsylvania. Do you think he ever slept? I wonder what Benjamin Franklin had for breakfast every day. I really, really do. So Thomas Kong has picked this quote from the many quotable moments of the life of Benjamin Franklin, a penny saved is a penny earned. Tomas, fascinating man, you decided to quote. Talk to me. How did you pick this? Yeah, it's a very basic and obvious quote, but I feel that sometimes uh, it is not emphasized enough, especially when organizations plan their fraud detection, fraud prevention programs. I think naturally organizations focus on growth and revenue, which is, you know, explainable. It's, you know, it's probably more logical. But uh, I think um, this, it's you know equally important. It's equally important to emphasize or to focus on the losses because, as you know, a penny saved. Actually, when it comes to fraud, a penny saved is probably more than a penny earned because it's not just a monetary value, but also the damage to your corporate reputation, your corporate image, which could be a competitive uh, liability. So that's why I chose this uh, quote. Thank you. Very, very interesting. We all wish we could save those pennies when somebody's out there hacking the pennies off the rounding up mechanisms and algorithms, but I digress. I know there have been famous movies about that. Let's go around the table and get to know our panelists just a little bit better. Two personal but not too personal questions, starting with Manish Singh at Deloitte. Manish, where are you calling from today, and what's your favorite drink that powers you or relaxes you or makes you happy when you're not chasing fraud? (laughs) I'm in Chicago right now, and uh, my favorite drink, gosh, I have many. But my recent favorite is, uh, you know, the Nitro Brew cold coffee from Starbucks. I don't Mm. know if you've tried that, but uh, technically for two reasons. Uh, One, I find it very cool how they serve it from the beer tap, so a drink that you can have at any hour without worrying about work schedules and get a sense of feel of beer, not the sense for the feel of beer. And two, it, it's a natural sweetener when you mix, uh, you know, nitrogen to coffee, so you don't have to worry about fake sugar, you know, playing around in a body, but still mm-hmm. cut down on sugar. 
And one interesting fact, since we're talking about coffee, is uh, the average caffeine content uh, in black tea is much more than coffee. So if you need high caffeine, yes. chai is what you want to have. Very interesting. Thank you very much. Good point. I, I had heard that a while ago. Thank you. I'll tell you a little story about me and caffeine in a few minutes. Steve Bisky, where art thou today and what do you love to drink that makes you happy? Well, today I am in Charlotte, North Carolina for a meeting. And, and, you know, I was really torn on this question, Bonnie, because part of my brain is already thinking forward to the vacation I have next week in the Florida Keys. And that makes me think of the original Hemingway daiquiri, but I probably shouldn't talk about that type of drink today. Uh, The drink I'd normally have to keep me going during the day is going to be a Monster Energy drink, the big can. I have shifted away from the locale white can to the locale blue. I'm sure there's something different in there with the flavors, but there's something about the blue can I really like. Okay. If it was red, I would really like it. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Thank you very much. And I'm in Durham. Did you know that? You're in Charlotte. I'm in Durham a couple of hours away, but certainly not. in the same part of the world. There we go. And Tomas Kong, where are you today? And what's your favorite beverage that powers you or relaxes you, whatever your choice is there? Yeah. Well, I'm calling from sunny Palo Alto. And when it comes to my favorite drink, it's a little bit embarrassing to say it uh, because it's definitely not as healthy as what Steve and Manisha mentioned. It's Coke. And I think I rationalize it by saying that since I grew up in Latin America, uh, playing a lot of soccer, after every soccer game as a kid, there was always Coke. I don't know why it was always Coke. There was not water. There was nothing else. It was always Coke. So... I associate Coke with, you know, some kind of reward whenever you do a good job, whenever you work out, and whenever you want to, you know, drink something pleasant and sweet. So that's my favorite drink. Um, my kids give me a hard time, so whenever they're not around and I can get away with it, I order Coke. Well, there's nothing embarrassing about that. I grew up with soda delivery to the house. Back in the day, we had a bakery man who delivered. It was Dugan's Bakery on Long Island, New York. Mm -hmm. We had a milkman, and we had a soda man. He'd come in this great big truck, and he'd bring in whatever the family ordered. And unfortunately, I grew up with a lot of Coca-Cola as well. I'm not going to tell you what it did, but it, it, yeah, that was part of our lives. We were just drinking it. It was very refreshing. I never embraced the other one that's supposed to be just as refreshing, uh, but let's just leave it at that. So, and I think we had somebody who was an executive of the Coca-Cola company on Game Changers Radio a couple of years ago, Tomas, and she sent me a gift box with a six a six pack of bottles the original bottles of coke in the old green glass bottles i never drank it i just kept it as a memento but it was very very sweet of her in every possible way so there so now that we found out where you all are you know i'm in durham north carolina moved here exactly two years ago from long island new york where i spent the last 32 years and i am not allowed to have caffeine on radio show days, Manish and Steve and Tomas, because there's probably caffeine and Coke, uh, they don't let me anywhere near caffeine. I don't need it when I'm on the air. This is my second live show today. did one a little over, over an hour ago. So I'm only allowed to drink water on radio show days, and I'm happy with my cool, clear water. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to go to break for 90 seconds, and during that break, Manish and I are going to talk about where we want to start the roundtable. We have some really great information for all 
all of you listening. And again, I have to do a shout out of appreciation to our listeners all over the world here on the Business Channel on VoiceAmerica.com, World Talk Radio, and a shout out to our engineer, an early shout out, Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire. We have listeners in more countries that I can spell and can count because you're all so interested in this topic of financial excellence. So thank you for making this one of our very most popular series out of the 43 Game Changers series that we produce. So we're going to take our quick break. When you come back, you're going to hear more on our featured topic today, fraud, how to protect your organization from threats. We have great insights from Manish Singh at Deloitte, from Steve Biskey. If you're looking for him, it's B-I-S-K-I-E at R-S-M and Tomas Kong at SAP. I'm Bonnie, and I plan to be after the break. Aaron, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4HANA, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP S4HANA, the next-generation business suite. SAP S4HANA Finance draws upon innovative, in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common, secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4HANA Finance at SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? You're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. That's exactly what we're talking about. More financial safety than financial excellence. What is your company doing to protect yourself from financial fraud, from the threats? The fraudsters are out there. They're smart. They're clever. They're savvy. They might have first dibs on all the new technology. They're trying to get in the cracks into those little gaps, those little tiny gaps that you may not be aware of because digitalization is wonderful. It's speeding up your business, but it's creating places for the fraudsters to poke in and steal information and steal money. So we want to talk about what we're going to do to help you plug those gaps and make sure they don't happen. Manish Singh from Deloitte, Steve Bisky at RSM, and Tomas Kong at SAP are with me today. So we're going to start the roundtable with a very provocative statement from Manish Singh. He told me before the show, quote, fraud isn't only related to monetary loss, but a start to the loss of opportunities. Manish, please tell us more. Sure. So I briefly heard Tomas also touched on this point where he said, you know, due to fraud, there is a reputational damage. So I want to elaborate a little bit more on that as well. And, uh, you know, when somebody is looking at fraud and addressing that, oftentimes they look at certain incidents or look at with the lens of certain scenarios when they're trying to see what they want to do to address that or they calculate the return on investment on that but uh, the discount, the ripple effect of it, or, or the indirect cost of such incidents, which can be foreseen, uh, unforeseen, and uh, 
they don't realize it until they are hit by the reality. And the reality is that it could lead to reputational damage and harm the brand image of the organization. And uh, this loss could be many folds in terms of dollars lost as it would or could result in loss opportunities. And uh, it can also impact the relationship with the key stakeholders, including loss of employee confidence and loss of their productivity. So the idea there is that there is a downside or downstream impact of such incident and not just the core dollar value lost in that incident. So organizations need to factor in those aspects as well when they are evaluating technology-based solutions to address the challenges and assess their return on investment. And uh, speaking of that, I would broaden my brush a little bit when I'm painting this and Mm -hmm. would also cover the unintentional acts that are not purely deception or intentional concealment, quote-unquote, they're not fraud, but, uh, you know, could be mere negligence. However, the result or the consequences of those occurrences uh, would be similar to fraud. So when it comes to loss cost to an organization, it would have similar impact as to what fraud is. So my point here is that we should be looking at solutions that help to mitigate such risk and help manage the overall integrity of the transaction in the business system. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. I'm, I'm so intrigued about the, the loss to the brand, the impact on the downstream ripple effect, as you said, the instri- indirect costs. Steve Bisky at RSM, why don't you join us, agree or disagree, and add something to what Manish shared. Please go ahead. Thanks. You know, I agree with what Manish was saying, but, but I want to pick on the last phrase he just used because there was something about that that really resonated with me around this concept of what is allowing the fraud to occur could also be supporting or sustaining the ability for errors and and negligence and mistakes to occur as well. You know, in the audit profession, we we talk about this thing called an internal control, and it it tends to have a bad connotation because it's audit, and there's often assessments around these. But, But at the end of the day, an internal control is really something that we consciously put in place that allows us to prevent a bad thing from happening or detect it within a reasonable time if it does. And, and back to Manish's statement, I think one of the things that resonated with me when he first said that is he, he's absolutely right that those those control failures that are allowing the fraud to happen, mm-hmm. on top of the fraud, they're also allowing mistakes to happen and go undetected. They're allowing errors to happen and go undetected. So that 5% number you mentioned at the beginning of the show, Bonnie, mm-hmm. that the ACFE says is attributable to a fraud, that is truly just the fraud component of it. If mm. we were to probably assess those controls and say, what allowed that fraud to happen? There are other things beyond just fraud that are affecting the business. So all of a sudden, that 5% number is probably even higher for most organizations. I was afraid you were going to say that. Yes, we like reality checks here on Game Changers. Thank you. Tomas Kong, join us, please. A lot to talk about. Agree or disagree or, or raise the bar? Go ahead, Tomas. <laughs> I definitely agree with uh, both uh, Steve and Manish uh, from the cases I've seen um, in organizations. Uh, fraud is definitely a big uh, concern, but in many cases, it's not just fraud. It could also be that the 
processes are not set up properly, so which allows employees and staff to make errors. Uh, there might be some inefficiencies, which also lead to losses. So I think maybe the right word to cover all of that is integrity, which I believe Manish mentioned. So fraud is a big part of it, but there, you know, if you don't have the controls in place, as uh, Steve mentioned, all kinds of things could happen, and it's going to impact you just as much or even worse than actual fraud cases. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Manish, anything you want to add to that before I move on? I'm ready to pick something from Steve's list here. But you go ahead. Anything you want to add? Be my guest. Yeah, I, I would want one more aspect to that is, um, uh, you know, certain companies which are global in nature, there are countries which are high risk on the fraud side, but there are countries which are not. So when we're talking about the internal controls, uh, we, we could apply a unified control of trust globally. That's why, you know, when we are applying that, you're not just envisioning or looking at through the lenses of fraud. I mean, there are errors and other mistakes that could cause the loss. I just want to resonate more on that from the geographical perspective, too. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Steve, so much good stuff here in your notes. Uh, let's start with the first one. According to what you mentioned, the ACFE, that's the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, you say one of the biggest deterrents to fraud, everybody listen up, biggest deterrence to fraud is the perception that an individual might get caught. And Steve says he finds this interesting as it means that someone making someone think they might be caught is potentially more effective them whether they will or they won't. Steve, talk to me. This is fascinating. Bonnie, I, I love this one because as someone who grew up in the audit, both external and internal audit profession, we talk about these internal controls a lot. We, we spend a lot of time testing controls. But if you look at what the ACFD is saying, they're saying that independent of your controls, it's creating a belief system in those entities that you do business with, whether they're employees, whether they're your vendors, whether they're your customers, that if they do something appropriate, they're going to be caught. And and I've got a great case. This goes back about 10 years with a company that I was working with that was implementing some continuous monitoring over their procurement card system. So employees actually had credit cards that they could use to buy small value items for things. And this was a very large aerospace company. Their purchases could range from some, some papers and pencils all the way up to people would literally buy missiles on, the, on their key cards. So a huge uh, right of spend in here. So they implemented some continuous monitoring using data analytics to try to identify where were potential fraudulent activities happening. And, and they mm-hmm. noticed something very interesting. First of all, they did catch some things, which is good because that's going to validate a lot of what we're talking about on this, that, that by being conscious about your monitoring program, and by using technology, you can actually identify exactly what we're talking about here. But the interesting behavior they found that supports this quote is they, they always knew there was roughly about one to one and a half percent of their, their key card spend fell into that gray area, where technically it might be allowed by the policy, depending on how you interpret that policy. But if people were questioned, they might be a little bit squeamish about it. And what they found is on top of the fraud findings for, for doing this continuing monitoring, immediately after they rolled out this program, they started to see that the number of transactions that were falling in that gray area dropped significantly. And it was because people knew that they were going to be questioned. People knew that if they submitted something that was maybe a borderline expense, 
they would get an automated email later that day saying, can you provide more evidence around it? And that gray area spent felt dramatically. That was pretty powerful in my, in my opinion. Very interesting. Is that, is that, Steve, you see that as motivational or like the teacher's going to hit you with a ruler on the back of your hand if you're caught stealing a pencil from her desk? Do you think it's something that goes back to, to childhood? The idea that you might get caught could be that very human, very emotional sentiment of, I don't want to be the one who's caught. What do you think? Is that something from our childhood? You know, I think there's probably a little bit of that, but I also think there's a piece of this where there's some people that are just going to do bad things, and mm-hmm. if I make it harder for them to do bad things in my organization, that doesn't mean they're not going to do bad things. They're probably just going to look to my competitor or someone else to do those bad things with because they feel they're less likely to be caught in that environment. Okay, okay. So there's some risk and reward in there, I think. Let's move around from Steve around the table to Tomas Kung. Love to get your thoughts on the great perspective that Steve just shared. Tomas? Yeah, actually I can relate to a lot of what Steve was saying because I also started my career as an auditor, uh, although I switched at some point because I thought it was too hard. Um, (laughs) I remember uh, when I was doing international audits for an organization that I would not mention, uh, we started finding cases of fraud. And as we started finding them, we started sharing them across the organization, uh, all other areas of the organization uh, somehow overnight became more compliant. They became Mm. better at preventing exceptions and fraud cases. And I think it boils down to that. It's just human nature. And the moment you know that Whatever yep. you, know, you are doing might be caught eventually. You'll change your behavior, and uh, that's, uh, that was very powerful. I mean, we did not have the resources, of course, to audit every single department, but just sharing the findings of some, let's say, uh, bad departments was so efficient. Thank you very much. Let's go around to Manish Singh at Deloitte. Manish, join us. Thoughts, please. Sure. So this is more related to human behavior, uh, you know, using that fraud program as a deterrent control. So I'll take this step lower and uh, help you understand this from a day-to-day task perspective. So it's an interesting fact, and I'm sure most of people who are listening to may be aware of this, but it's quite interesting when I found out that, you know, when there is a dog's football placed in the front porch of your house, that is considered to be the biggest deterrent for somebody to break into your house. I, I mm. see this as a similar perspective, uh, that when people are aware that there is some kind of control there, they are less motivated. It goes back to my you know, statement from Steve Jobs of the vision it does make the vision very, very blurry and um, act as a control. Interesting. Okay, we're talking about the front porch now. Let's go back to uh, let's go back to Steve. Any comments on what your co-panelist shared on that? Because I've got something I'm going to move I, on to quickly here. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just thinking that the dog bowl on my porch is going to be offset by the fact that my cat is always sitting in the window. So I need to I need to change my thinking a little bit about this. 
<laughs> there you go. <laughs> Tomas sent me an interesting quote for the beginning of the show, and I told him, no, we don't use quotes that are directly about the topic for the opening. We all, You all sent me such interesting inspirational quotes. We'll leave it at that. So I said to him, why don't you include it in your notes for later in the conversation? And he did. So here is a quote from Alan Greenspan. This is, this is a reality check, Tomas, a good one. So I'm going to read the quote. Corruption embezzlement, fraud. These are all characteristics which exist everywhere. It is regrettably the way human nature functions, whether we like it or not. What successful economies do is keep it to a minimum. No one has ever eliminated any of that stuff. Are we doomed, Tomas? Why don't you interpret and add to what Mr. Greenspan said? Go ahead. Well, no, Mr. Greenspan probably knows a few things that other people do not know. And when I saw <laughs> this quote, I just related to it 100%. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I started my career as an auditor. We're doing international audits. And it was just amazing that the kind of stuff we would find, uh, not only in the so-called, uh, you know, let's see, what's the right name here, uh, risky countries, uh, you know, countries that traditionally have had more cases of fraud, but even in these so-called countries with very clean economies, you would find cases of fraud. And that's when I realized a long time ago that, you know, it's not just uh, the cultural environment where you work. It's also human nature. At some level, humans, I don't know why, I don't know, I'm not an expert, but uh, they can get tempted at all levels, and they do bad things. So the only way, I guess, to deal with that efficiently uh, as an organization is to ensure that you have uh, a process and controls in place to minimize that. Uh, whether you're an organization or an economy, as Alan Greenstein mentioned, you need to do that. And the more you minimize this case of fraud, the more effective, efficient you will be. And I think that's what we can do um, as uh, uh, either you know fraud professionals or software professionals, whatever, you just provide the tools to minimize these cases of fraud. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. I want to see what Manish has to say and what Steve has to say, but could we talk about some of the tools uh, so that people can really get some ideas? We're talking mostly on the human nature side of this and the regrettable existence of this facet of the human human structure or the human nature. So can we get any tools in here? Uh, Manish, you want to help without giving specific names of solutions? Uh, what can be done to keep this to a minimum, which was the really the important part of the Greenspan quote. Manish? Sure. So, you know, I, I would start with saying that uh, what Tomas mentioned or his quote said, that all organizations are susceptible to fraud. And I totally agree that fraud is a human problem, not an accounting problem. So. Mm -hmm. Solving that with a technology make it a little more complex, and I strongly believe that the conventional detection method is is getting conventional now. That it could be used to identify those bad acts or mistakes or errors uh, in the solution. So, what we can do from the technology perspective is bring the modern technologies like machine learning and predictive capabilities and married with your conventional detection methods 
and leverage those technologies to make it a more sophisticated solution so that you are identifying the human pattern based on with the help of technology and then you are uh, you know finding the needle in the haystack interesting steve bisky thoughts what could people do about this what could companies do to be more proactive about these human traits that we're saying going to happen for sure. So, so I think there's a couple aspects that I'm going to hit quickly on this. The, the first is, I agree with Manish in that at, at, at some perspective, we can start using technology to actually mine through this, this wealth of information we have in an organization. We can look at purchasing transactions. We can look at AP transactions. And unlike in the past where from an audit perspective, we might have to look at a sample of those. We might have to wait for a hotline tip to come in. We can mm-hmm. actually design analytics and other routines to, to get to that root of, if this were happening, how might I detect it in my data? So that's one piece of it. But the other piece, it's if we look at the fraud triangle, and this is something the ACFE has on their website as well, there, there are a couple components of the fraud triangle that we can't necessarily influence. We can't necessarily influence the pressure that someone might be under, and we can't influence the rationalization they're going to have as to why they're committing fraud. They, they may say, hey, you're a big company. You can, afford to, um, you can afford to lose a little bit of money here. They may say, hey, I'm going to pay you back, whatever. Those two aspects, the pressure and the rationalization, we can influence. But what we can influence is the opportunity yes. side of that as well. I think the detect, detection mechanisms are one very, very important part of this, this fraud management program. But we also can look at how can we reduce the opportunity through better controls that we put in the organization, moving things to more automated controls as opposed to to reactive detective processes to reduce that piece as well. And and one final comment I want to make, I I think the one thing that sometimes gets lost when we're talking about fraud is people think about the bad guys as as perpetually bad guys. But again, when you read the stories from the ACFE, one of the things we'll learn is a lot of fraudsters are actually the the old lady that everyone trusts and no one would ever think would do something like this. And they never intended to commit fraud, but they were under some pressure and they rationalized what they did. And next thing you know, it affected an organization by millions of dollars. So we, we always need to keep in mind that it's not always the, the guys in the black trench coats that are doing this. Sometimes it's our very trusted employees who we've worked with for, for decades and they haven't done anything inappropriate in the past, but something happened and now they are. And we need to keep those in mind as well. Very interesting. So it could be the unsuspicious person, uh, that, that, that quote unquote little old somebody from somewhere. <laughs> who, exactly. Yes. Some, some companies will say, hey, I, I hire good people. I do background checks. You know, we've got oversight. Everyone likes our people, but every company also fires people at some point in time too. You're not always hiring good people. Sometimes people don't work out and we can't lose sight of the fact that it's, uh, it's sometimes the very people we trust that, that fell into a position where they felt obligated in their mind to do this. And Steve, isn't this the reason that most companies do a, we'll walk you to the door, but hand over your key, your password, your key card, every opportunity that we gave you to be part of this company before they walk the person out? Isn't that the reason why? Yeah. To prevent that retribution? Yep. Exactly. Yep. I know, except it's more sophisticated now. Uh, let's uh, let's see. Do you want to add anything to that, Tomas? That was such an interesting quote from Greenspan. Uh, no, but I wanted to expand on what Steve just mentioned about the... Please, uh, please do. 
first one. Yep. Uh, and personally, the biggest case of fraud that I've encountered when I was an auditor uh, were like that. They were related to someone that nobody suspected of, and uh, voila, <laughs> you got these huge surprises. That's the surprises we're trying to get rid of. Let's see if we can squeeze in. We've got about four minutes until the crystal ball predictions round. Let me look here. Um, let's look at, Steve, I'm going to look at one more piece from you. You say from an internal control perspective. No, you know what? Okay, I'm going to go up to your, your fourth statement. You say, I talked to a lot of organizations who say they stopped or significantly slowed their analytics-driven fraud monitoring programs because they were getting too many false positives. Steve, that sounds very intriguing. Nobody wants false oh, positives. My- Yes, it, it, absolutely. You don't you don't want to be in an environment where the system is saying this looks like fraud and it wasn't. But but one of the things, particularly when we're using technology for this, there's some learning process about it. And and I would contend I I worked with other organizations on the opposite end of the spectrum, where they've designed designed some somewhat sophisticated routines to try to identify fraud, but they they tune them so there's no false positives at all. And I would suggest if you have no false positives you've probably overtuned that system, so you're missing things in the gray area. And as an example, one of the things, if we're looking for a duplicate payment where that duplicate may, be, may have been rerouted to an external entity, we, we can look for things like, well, it's the same invoice number on the same date in the same amount. But sometimes one of those, those areas that could lead to false positives is if we say it's a different amount. And initially, people might look at that and say, you can't have a duplicate that's a different amount. Well, in reality, if, if we paid a vendor late, and that vendor sends us a new invoice with a interest charge tacked onto it that wasn't on that original invoice. It's still for the same item, but is now a different amount than that. And it's some of those types of examples where I think if we haven't consciously built into our program the ability to cast the net wide, while we may be introducing some false positives in the system, the lack of false positives is, is probably causing us to miss things that we actually want to see. Interesting. Let's go around and get it. I think we just have about another two minutes or so. That was Steve. Tomas, any thought about what uh, what Steve just shared with us about those false positives? Yeah, I mean, that's something that will definitely happen. And I've heard organizations saying, oh, we're not going to do any fraud programs because we just encountered too many false positives. And that's definitely the wrong approach. You're going to encounter them. And maybe it's good that you encounter them because that means they're being very aggressive. But at the same time, you need to have some kind of um, uh, program to minimize those false positives. That uh, having false positives is not a bad thing. You, you know, I think you need to have them, and then you need to do something about them going forward. Thank you very much. And Manish, thoughts on that? Yeah, I would want to highlight or underscore the predictive capabilities that I mentioned earlier uh, mm-hmm. from the technology perspective. That can be leveraged heavily to address this false positive issue. Uh, I understand that we cannot get away from false positives. It will continue to happen, and it will. it's a good thing that it happens because you don't want to tune in the system too tight. So from the benefit to the business or operation from a fraud solution, leverage the predictive capabilities and, uh, you know, let machine do some work to identify, you know, the, those uh, anomalies. Thank you very much. And while I have you, Manish, we are technically 
in the crystal ball predictions round in about 30 seconds. So I'm going to set you up for a good prediction. I think we have time for about 90 seconds each because we really were efficient with our time during the show. So gentlemen, think about what will change about this topic. It could be good news. It could be bad news. It could be a mix. Let's say between 2020, which is just, I don't know, three months away, three and a half months away, between 2020 and 2025, in your opinion, what do you think will change about fraud, fraud detection? Will the human nature side of it be changed? The the financial pressure, rationalization, and opportunity in the ACFE fraud triangle? You can address any or all of those topics. So Manish Singh at Deloitte, I'm ready for you. 90 seconds. They're all yours. Go. All right. So in my opinion, this topic of fraud is definitely going to be relevant. And as the IT complexity is increasing, the data is growing, especially when things are getting more connected to each other, especially, uh, you know, outside the organization too, like from the social media platform and all those things, it increases the complexity of your ecosystem. And it will get difficult to identify issues with the conventional detection method. And remember, fraud is a human problem, not accounting. So the detection method has to be more sophisticated to understand the human elements in the business transactions. And it can be achieved to an extent by using modern technologies, as I said earlier, like machine machine learning and predictive analytics, like bringing artificial intelligence into your system, into your solution, is where I see things going. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let's go to Mr. Steve Bisky at RSM. Steve, you've got a very generous 90 seconds, maybe even a little bit more, because Manish was so efficient with his time. So go ahead. You know, I'm, I'm going to agree with Manish in saying that fraud is not going away. We're not going to be able to get rid of that human behavior. So um, it is something that's going to be a factor. I think on one hand, the prevalence of fraud is is going to get more sophisticated. It's going to be a little bit harder to detect for organizations that aren't sophisticated in their own thinking about fraud. If we think about what's happening in the business world today, we're introducing automation and robotics and, and RPA technologies, robotic process automation technologies, where we're removing humans and, and putting base, basically a automated software robot in place. So we're we're losing some of the eyes that we had, and those eyes are now being part of a, a, a machine. So I, I think on one hand, the opportunity for people to be able to find ways to commit fraud is going to grow exponentially over the, the next several years. But to Manisha's point, I also agree that what's also happening on the data side is we have so much more data than we have had before. And with that additional data, gives us the ability to monitor things that would not have been possible in the past. We can often now see where someone was when they sent the message, not just that they sent the message and what time that message was sent. And when we start to correlate that with other data in the system, it gives us the ability, using technologies like Manish was talking about, to define and create detection and prevention systems that, that can as much as possible, stay as close to where the fraud is moving as as we can. We're not going to get rid of it, but I think we have, better than any time in the past, more ability to design sophisticated detection mechanisms to be able to, to help us stay on top of it. 
Thank you very much. I sense some optimism in your voice, and I appreciate that. Let's go to Tomas Kong at SAP. Tomas, I give you a full 90 seconds as well, maybe even two minutes if you want to get a little philosophical with us. Go ahead. What's your prediction? <laughs> Thank you, Vani. Well, let's start on the philosophical note. I think uh, <laughs> fraud is part of human nature. Don't ask me why, and so that will not go away. I think the the type of fraud will probably evolve over time. It's already evolving. Uh, as Steve mentioned, getting more sophisticated. And the only way to deal with that kind of sophisticated type of fraud is what Manish mentioned earlier. You, know, you need to involve more elements of artificial intelligence, machine learning, predictive analytics. So if I were to, if I were to predict something, I would say that in the next five years or so, you have a lot more of these technologies uh, incorporated in any fraud solutions. You have to, right? Because with the increasing uh, digital nature of the way companies interact with customers and with, with others, there are more opportunities for this kind of fraud. And the kind of fraud is very hard to detect via conventional manual methods, if you will. So you need to rely on the sophisticated technology to identify these cases. And we know that fraud are not going to go away. So there will be... Uh, coming your way, one way or the other. There you go. Um, let me just ask you, I have, oh, I have about 20 seconds here. Yes or no, do you think there'll be any interesting movies coming out about AI and machine learning and IoT and uh, new ways those technologies are being harnessed by the bad actors and actresses in fraud in the next, uh, let's say, in 2020? Do you think anybody's planning any hot movies that we're all going to go and see and say, wow, look at that new technology and how bad they're using it? Uh, around the table, yes or no. Manish? You predict a good movie about fraud? Let me call Leonardo DiCaprio. Steve Bisky, yes or no? I think there's going to be some fantastic movies, but I don't see anyone building a fraud theme into the next Star Wars. Okay, thank you. Tomas Kong, a movie about fraud? Uh, definitely. If not 2020, probably 2021. There you go. There you go. I'll meet you. I'll buy the popcorn. I'll see you there. I want to thank Birgit Starmans at SAP for putting together this fascinating panel. Gentlemen, you've been wonderful. I really appreciate it. Carla Neil Slavin at Deloitte for engaging Manish Singh for us at Deloitte. And Aaron and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio for getting us on the air and keeping us there. And thank you to the three sponsors of this series. I think you're in your eighth or ninth season with me. That's years in radio terms. Birgit Starman's Chris Grundy and now Diana Heim at SAP. Appreciate that. Eight seasons. Here's my call to action. Get with it. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, Tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel. Wishing you a game-changing week.